In talking about how the kingdom of God comes to earth, um, in our last session we talked about liberation theology, and today we're going to talk about two or three other uh, theological, twisted theological ideas about how the kingdom of God comes to earth. When we get past these, we're going to look at what the Bible says about how the kingdom of God comes to earth. Okay, we're working our way here on All Things Apostolic. We're working our way through right now a discussion of how the kingdom of God will come to earth. How does the Bible predict that the kingdom of God will come to earth? How does it come right now in the present day? It does come uh, because we have the Holy Spirit within us, and the Bible's very specific that that's the kingdom of God within the rule of God, the government of God within a person, which creates a whole new kind of government. If you think about the fact that if you, if you ponder the idea that everybody on earth has a baptism of the Holy Ghost, well, you would not need any more uh, police, or very few. You would not need uh, near as much health care because you don't have people killing themselves with immoral conduct that created a whole AIDS deal, which cost billions of dollars in America to taxpayers. You, you, smoking and uses of tobacco, uh, those things which uh, stimulate cancers uh, would be gone uh, because those that have the Holy Ghost wouldn't be doing those things. Alcoholism and all of its attendant uh problems would would be gone. So the whole health industry would be revolutionized by this. The whole military complex uh, would be changed because there would not be people whose aggression, and many times this is the case, it's the aggression of an individual that leads a nation, that leads them into war, because they have grandiose ideas about their own importance uh, or they have aspirations uh, to make a name for themselves, or whatever else may be the case. So, <clears throat> when we talk about how the kingdom of God comes, it is here now with the Holy Ghost within us, the Holy Spirit within us. It's uh, The kingdom of God does not come by observation, and it is not meat and drink. Jesus said it didn't come by observation. And uh, the apostle wrote and said that uh, it is not meat and drink, but it is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. So we know that at this point, the kingdom of God on the earth is spiritual. However, it changes our lives dramatically, so it does have an ameliorative effect upon the moral and health condition of earth's inhabitants. And where there is great revival, it has very significant benefits um, in bringing the kingdom of God to earth. So that's just kind of a little um, side discussion there about uh, that goes along with how the kingdom of God comes to earth. Now, we just looked at, in our last uh, lesson about this, we just looked at... Um, how liberation theology said the kingdom of God was going to come to earth. 
and liberation theology taught that the kingdom of God would come to earth through revolution, through military overthrow, and they, they did this in Central America uh, in the last half of, of the last century, in the 19, uh, about 70 to 2000, along in that area, maybe 2005 or whatever. Their idea was that uh, the kingdom of God would only come if people would take guns in their hands and overthrow the rich people in Central America who controlled governments and who were oppressive, and there was no middle class. It was between the rich and then the impoverished, and that was about it. And um, in many cases, that is still the case today. So, uh, so they brought war. These were these were primarily Catholic priests who, in their theological thinking in Europe, developed these ideas and brought them and experimented with them to bring the kingdom of God to earth through revolution. Well, it didn't work, and uh, now we're 30, 40, 50 years later, and we can look and see that the conditions in terms of who's got wealth and who doesn't have wealth and the lack of a middle class in many places hasn't changed much. Uh, <clears throat> much of this foment was in Nicaragua, and um, not only there, but much of it was there until finally uh, the Sandinistas uh, ascended and took control and have control to this day. Uh, their president, Daniel Ortega, was a revolutionary. Um, and uh, in his own way, he's communist. In his own way, I'm sure he's trying to bring uh, a, a uh, healthier environment in his nation, at least seems that way, uh, even though we know that uh, communism by itself doesn't work. And um, so with all that said, there's there's a lot of other things you could say, like uh, Bill de Blasio, the mayor, uh, the ex-mayor of New York, when he was younger, he was down there in the middle of all of that. And um, uh, I think his parents were down there. His name's not even Bill de Blasio. I don't know what his name is. He changed it. That's not his real name. He hides his real name. But I'm just saying there's people that you hear about in government today or in the last 10 years that were involved in in bringing, uh, in some cases, communist government there and in attempting to bring uh, liberation. And so you have people who believe that fighting is going to do it. Uh, uh, our former president Obama, his pastor Jeremiah Wright, uh, was was an exponent of fomenting unrest. And um, uh, uh, Black Lives Matter is not the the movement, but the organization um, proposed the same thing to to disrupt. And um, in some cases, uh, it's not that they want to create a solution to the present government, 
liberation theology did not believe there could be a solution under the present government. And this idea is carried over here even till now. Uh, but what they what they want and believe is necessary is total and complete overthrow of existing governments so everybody can start over from square one. Well, I would propose that most people have no idea what that means to start over from square one. But anyway, all of that uh, kind of fits under the discussion of liberation theology as a way to bring the kingdom of God to earth. So... Um, Another way that uh, uh, I think this came primarily out of a Presbyterian context uh, several years ago, uh, I, I suppose that it still exists. It was called restorationist. They believe the kingdom of God is going to come uh, through a process that they identified as restorationist or as somebody identified as restorationist. And um, that is that there had to come to earth a restoration of Old Testament law and that, that this was going to take a long time to get back to Old Testament law. Uh, in fact, the estimates were that to do this, it would take maybe 33,000 years. So this restorationist deal is a long-term <laughs> It's a long-term vision of how the kingdom of God is going to come. And, um, of course, we don't believe that's how the kingdom of God is going to come. But these people are working to that end. And uh, it's by their account that they think probably around 33,000 years. So um, that's another idea, how the kingdom of God is going to return to earth. There is a... Uh, so you have a Catholic idea there. You have an idea that came out of Presbyterianism. Uh, then the, the next one that we'll just talk about a little bit is dominion theology. Uh, dominion theology, its roots come from numerous places. Uh, the latest place that it, e that it emerged very strongly was among charismatics. And uh, Pat Robertson, who was um, a leader, and a Yale graduate whose daddy was a, or grandpa was a senator. Uh, Pat Robertson received the Holy Ghost, and he became a leader in the charismatic world, um, and he, he espoused dominion theology, and that was that uh, Christians need to take over all of the political offices through, uh, through politics, through political action, uh, and gain... Uh, hegemony on the on the levers of power um, that the that the gospel saving people would create an encroachment on structures of sin through a Holy Ghost revival in which it would be so big that it would sweep over governments and that uh, Christians would take over these governmental structures. Uh, through the political processes, but they would be Christian, that they would actually transform. I've had, I've had these people that espouse some of this. Uh, uh, tell me, for example, Hollywood, that uh, what we are doing is we're not preaching against what Hollywood is doing. We are going to, we are going to take over Hollywood and the film industry through praying people through and making them Christians. 
Um, uh, they also taught that they would take over through education and, um, and so forth. So uh, this is another very, very common idea that still is, is very um, existent in our world today that this is how it's going to take place. There are some apostolics that even espouse uh, this idea that uh, by having the Holy Ghost move, the church is just going to continue to encroach upon society until it takes over, and that will bring in the kingdom of God. That'll be it. That's their idea. Um, so what's another one? Another one, uh, another idea is what is called Christian identity. Um, years ago, it was called British Israelism. Its origins come out of England. I don't know if it was ever officially a state doctrine, but it, but it, because England has a state church, and uh, so the Queen's ahead of the church. Um, America, of course, doesn't have a state church, but other some other nations do, including England, which is the Church of England, and. Um, uh, the consequence of that is that the church in England, while it may not have officially in writing embraced this doctrine, this it was a very prominent and still, I don't know if people would talk about it or not, but it's still a prominent doctrine among English people and there's whole congregations of people um, in Scotland or Wales or England that uh, embraced this, that what we called then British Israelism. Later, it's been called Christian identity and other terms. So uh, their idea is that the English people and the United States, the people from England that came to the United States, are literally the Old Testament Ephraim and Manasseh. And those two sons of Joseph, this is literally who England is, that the Jews of today are the English people and uh, Ephraim and that the United States is Manasseh. They also believe that in the 5th century B.C., during the time of Jeremiah, and Jeremiah had an assistant, you can read about him in the Bible, named Baruch. And so they believe that uh, around the 5th century, when oppression was coming to Israel, Jeremiah uh, maybe not himself, but had his servant Baruch uh, bring the coronation stone from Israel that was put under a tree, a particular stone, big stone, was put under a tree, and that all the kings or queens that was uh, crowned in Israel in the Old Testament, uh, most of them were crowned with their throne setting on that stone. It was the coronation stone. Today, this stone that they claim is the one from Israel in which all Israeli kings were had their coronation on, this is the stone that they have, and it is presently in Westminster Abbey. I've been there. Uh, I've seen it. Uh, they do move it sometime. It was, I think, in Edinburgh, England for a while, or Edinburgh, rather. And they were, um, but then it's, but it's, but it's, it's regular home is in Westminster Abbey, and it's right in the middle of the sanctuary, as I remember. 
and it's under the throne where each new king or queen of England is crowned. And the belief here is that England is the continuation of the nation of Israel and that the Jews in Israel today are really just imposters, that England and the U.S. are the true Jews through Ephraim and Manasseh, and the rest of the tribes are scattered. And so um, there are results to this doctrine. Now, I've met people that believe this. I've met people that, uh, that told me that within five years, uh, had coffee with one guy within five years, the... Um, the, the United States government would be overthrown and that once again it would be returned to its original condition. Well, the original condition of which they speak is that there's nothing but uh, people with English blood in them, which makes it that they happen to be white. And so this is where, this is the doctrinal uh, root, the thread that when you when you trace white supremacy down and you go to the end of it, if you're looking for a theological root, this is where it's at. And this is why uh, they believe in white supremacy, because they believe that they are the Jews of the Old Testament and that England and the United States are Ephraim and Manasseh. So, uh, so what, this, what this did is it created uh, an elitism among people, uh, and it produced prejudice. So um, they felt like they were the sons of Shem. They were the Semitic people, English people and American people that came from England, mainly meaning white people. Um, and so this set up this uh, elitism. It set up a prejudice so for the, in their minds, it was white people versus non-Semitic people. And um, so they, didn't, they don't want anybody running the government or holding governmental offices that are not people that are ordained by God in their doctrine, that are ordained by God to be the leaders. And uh, so this is still in our world today. Uh, now, where I live, in California, uh, Northern California, I am told that the FBI knows well that it's a it's a hotbed of militias. So many militias, not I'm sure not all of them, but many militias get their theological impetus to fight government, the United States government, from this idea that creates white supremacy, that, uh, that England and the United States are Ephraim and Manasseh, that they are the people of God, that they are the Jews in the world today. Okay, so now there are other versions of this too. Um, uh, these people, there's, there's three things that they were two primary things that they were against and when um, when white supremacy was in America and started one was was people of color color and the other was Catholicism so they were very anti-catholic and um, this comes from the fact that the Church of England broke away well they think of themselves we're they're part of the Church of England 
whether they are officially not, they think of themselves as being that. And, um, and they believe because of that, because of the Old Testament promises to Israel that they're going to have dominion in the world, uh, then they're going to spread their superior ways, and they know uh, they think how to do things, and they feel obligated to protect the kingdom. So these people theologically need correction because this is not true. They, first of all, are not the Jews. Second of all, that stone can only be traced back to about the 7th century A.D., which is 1,200 years after the days of Jeremiah. So there's a lot of uh, surmising and supposition in all of this. And I was England in England, and I tried to get a tour guide to talk to me about that stone, and he would not do it publicly in front of the whole bus load of people. Um, so when I was getting off, he gave me a little track or something and said, if you want to see such and such here, here's how to get there. But he didn't want, he didn't want this talked about there. And so, um, all of this is part of today. Now, unfortunately, there are also, uh, brown groups. There are black groups. There are African groups all of which, and probably other groups, all of which espouse the same thing that uh, Christian identity or British Israelism espouses, and that is that we are the people of God, and, uh, and nobody else is. And so you see smatterings of this in some of the preaching of, uh, what's his name that was in Chicago, Elijah, um, and X and uh, whoever they were, but there was smatterings of that in there, that that a black person is superior. So when you when you get to trying to determine the kingdom of God by skin color, which the Bible is very clear that flesh and blood shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Well, skin is flesh, and so none of that's going to inherit the kingdom of God. None of it makes a whit of difference about the kingdom of God. I'm just telling you. And and our brothers and sisters, the, the color of our skin has nothing to do with whether someone is a brother or sister in the Lord. It's whether or not they've obeyed the gospel, whether they're a brother or sister in the Lord. And, and when that happens, the Holy Ghost in us is broader and deeper than all of these superficial divisions uh, that are in our country today. So this is why it's important for us to talk about how the kingdom of God comes to earth, because these skewed, uh, twisted, distorted theological ideas that people have used of how the kingdom comes to earth have consequences, and we see them all around us.